You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Hello, and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. We're back with a film Friday for you guys. Yeah. And I say that every time, so <laughs> just keeping with tradition, It is true. We are back on a Friday with a film Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Technically a Thursday, but you know, who, true. who's counting? <laughs> true, true. Being a little proactive this week. Mm-hmm. But we're coming at you guys with one that it, it's near and dear to our hearts, I'll say. Definitely. A film that we discovered in university, so probably about six seven years ago ish something like that something like that i think a lot of people will see the title of this and automatically think that there's only one film which is the most recent remake Mm. of this but it did actually in fact start with a 1990s uh manga anime Mm -hmm. style movie which is just epic it was it was an anime film inspired by the original manga yes Mm -hmm. exactly so of course 1995 ghost in the shell is what we're talking about today but before we jump right into it we do have a tiny bit of housekeeping really excited because not only do we have a brand new patron but we have a brand new producer of the show so thank you so much and welcome to tim godby brand new producer of into the portal thank you so much man like really really excited to uh, get your input on stuff so tim's going to be yeah helping us with ideas and uh yeah he's he's hopped on there on patreon so if you guys want to check out what he's contributing to and see what kind of stuff you can access on our patreon the link is in the show notes and there's lots of cool stuff you guys to check out Mm -hmm. okay you ready to jump right into this I am so ready, beyond ready. (laughs) This was sort of defined as anime cyberpunk, which I thought was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. That just sounds badass in and of itself. Totally. So 1990s anime cyberpunk film written by Kazunori Ito and directed by uh, Mamoru Oshii. So Mamoru. uh, (laughs) Mamoru. 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 Such cool names. I love it. I love all this stuff. So, I mean, largely considered, I mean, a a breakthrough in animation for the 90s and in filmmaking Mm -hmm. in general. When you watch this movie, it feels, it doesn't feel like an animated movie. It it flows as if it's like a really like expensive Hollywood blockbuster to me. Like the scene transitions, the the style, all that kind of stuff. The detailing in the the backgrounds and in the characters themselves. This was actually a combined force of uh, newly created CGI uh, technologies along with traditional animation. Which just blended so well. And they used some really cool like effects. So what they did is they studied, they went out into the real world, studied the effects of bullets, like ricocheting off different materials, such as concrete, cars, and water was a big one too. So what you see in the film is super close to what you would actually see in real life, which is amazing. Which absolutely. And you can tell, and it makes those action scenes like extra Mm -hmm. intense for an animated movie. Starting with the character list here, because it's kind of a short list of main characters, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. The major is, of course, the main character in this in this movie. So Matoko uh, Kusanagi, the major, voice mm-hmm. of uh, Atsuko Tanaka. Mm-hmm. The other main character is, of course, the partner, uh, Batu, who's my personal favorite. Batu voice of, or Bato? Uh, Bato, Batu. <laughs> B-A-T-O-U. Bato. Bato. Togusa, which is the younger police officer with a human brain, because of course we're dealing with the idea of like what is human, Mm. transhuman, the cyborg, these types of things. And then of course there's the section nine department chief, the section six department chief, and then the all the all-powerful Project 2501, the Mm -hmm. puppet master. I really liked how it is very zeroed in on the characters you don't have to like be like who's this who's that there's a few shadowy figures but most of them are explained very aptly in the film i find definitely characters like uh, togusa like he's very interesting because he is very new to section nine and section nine is like a very shadowy government agency that kind of deals with a lot of the stuff that diplomats and people that have like public figures like they can't really get involved exactly so this is kind of the whole premise of the film here. and it's funny you say he's like the newer police officer because Mm -hmm. he's 
he actually has a, a quote-unquote human brain. So it's like he's the newest and the most complete organic human at the same time. It's almost like there's this linear not degeneration because it's almost like we get more advanced. Oh, We're totally. going to get into all this. And you know, it's funny with Togusat, again, like I put in brackets, younger cop with human brain, but he's actually, I'm pretty sure he's a hundred percent human because right. he, okay. they kind of make this comment. Uh, the major makes a comment to him in the van when they're driving towards the first sort of like um, the big chase scene or whatever. And she, she's, he asked her like, why did you recruit me to this? Like, and she's yeah. all like, and then he doesn't know uh, later on the film, he doesn't know anything about Megatech Body Corporation. So all where all of these uh, cyborg bodies are created, he right. had no idea that the major herself was actually formed from Megatech materials. So he's very, uh, he's a great character because he's so innocent and he doesn't really understand. So he's a great person to have around because they have to explain stuff to him. So Totally. Yeah, and then the helps. question for me is like, will he eventually end up as a cyborg? probably progresses along this uh this, think, this career path you know like I mean? bateau like he was probably originally fully human and then over time as he's damaged on the job they just replace his parts even his eyes are not even eyes anymore <laughs> like so these bizarre. weird goggle things we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> let's kick off with the setting so we are looking at a near future i wouldn't call it dystopic i would just say very technologically oriented society and it's a fictional city of Japan called Newport City. The year is 1929. 2029. Or sorry, 2029. <laughs> I'm still living in the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> this was going on in uh, 1929. That would have been pretty badass for the Great Depression. Could you imagine? So a simple synopsis from IMBD um, basically goes as follows. A cyborg policewoman and her partner hunt a mysterious and powerful hacker called the Puppet Master, mm -hmm. which is a very, very simplistic way to describe this movie. It is. Some more backstory. So like I said, year is 2029. Humans and technology have integrated intimately, but not to the extent which they say at the very beginning to the nations have been superseded or right. erased. Mm -hmm. So races and nations are still at play. There's still diplomatic activity. Exactly. So instead, we're kind of introduced to a world of like high tech espionage and collusion amongst these shadowy government agencies, including Section 9 that Major Kasanagi works for. So the movie opens up with the Major poised to complete an assassination mission for this like corrupt foreign diplomat that's trying to smuggle out a hacker called Daito. And that she's doing this on behalf of a different section, section six. Right. So the interplays between section six and section nine are kind of the main focus of this film. So as she's getting ready to do this, this is kind of where we, you know, where the story starts off. But quickly this devolves into something much more political. There's a mm -hmm. lot of like cyber espionage and these secret interdepartmental government agencies that are just like kind of not warring amongst themselves, but they all have their own like ulterior motives and agendas and things like that. And this is the distraction because it's like, while all this is going on, they are, you know, seemingly oblivious to what is going on very much behind the scenes and not just behind the scenes, but like things they can't see. And mm -hmm. this spontaneous generation of, of, uh, of consciousness of self of AI. Uh, yes. Artificial all these things. So, I mean, yeah, deals with some pretty interesting themes. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're going to kick things off for you guys. We're going to talk about some of the main themes behind this film instead of going through like, you know, like just a, a synopsis. So the main thing I would say is this idea of post-humanism or the transhuman. So when we talk about post-humanism, we're very familiar with this from our years in university. Probably not all of our listeners will be though. And so post-humanism, when you think about it, it's... It's an ideology that is basically a critique of humanism and a rejection of what is traditionally conceived of as the human. So these right. notions of humanness. So what do you think of when we say post-human, Andrew? I think for me, when I think of the idea of post-human, I automatically go to the the super sci-fi advanced um, blending with machines, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The, yeah think of star trek star wars like these types of like films and advancement and things like that that's where my brain goes automatically so i guess that's mm -hmm. exactly what this movie's touching on and when you think of the word itself like post-human after the human right so what does that mean what in itself next? like so really if you want to get into like the philosophical leanings of humanism you like in broad strokes humanism came around like basically it, it kind of 
coincided with um, the Renaissance, right? Yeah. And the ideas of like human exceptionalism and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. And this was just like, uh, this is from ethics.org and they kind of defined it in broad strokes as a term that captures a broad range of philosophical and ethical movements that are unified by their unshakable belief in the unique value, agency, and moral supremacy of human beings. Right. So human exceptionalism. <laughs> Which trickles down into uh, ethnic ex- exceptionalism and things like that because it, it's tied into all kinds of things, right? Like it's it's a politicized term and the popularity of which rose essentially out of the background, the backdrop of things like Darwinism, right? Ev- evolutionary theory, scientific revolutions that happened throughout the world, colonialism mm-hmm. and exceptionalism in that regard, like human exceptionalism of Europeans uh, heading in and conquering Africa and things like mm-hmm. that in the turn of the century and stuff like People that. People considered to be subhuman. Exactly. Exactly, mm-hmm. which is just which is just applied to the other, essentially. Exactly. Right? So yeah, that's it's it's not a it's not a a pretty business uh, when you really want to break it down in terms of like how this concept has played out in human history. Mm-hmm. It's been a lot of darkness that's come out of it. It's a lot of self congratulation to a certain degree, and it has advanced our society, right? Like these ideas, but at the same time, they're dangerous because they are exceptionalist and they do exclude those that aren't included right and we kind of included this idea it's like when we're talking about identity politics it it relies on these binaries so like a binary between what like human and animal or human and machine these divides so it's almost like what we are depends on what we aren't right organic inorganic like all this kind of stuff yeah that is such a cool line what we are depends on what we are not Mm -hmm. and i feel like there's so much embedded in that too like the idea of when we see when like the idea of the abject right and we yes. see like the talking about things like frankenstein or the doppelganger thing, the uncanny um yeah this is all tied into this this idea totally and then tied into that again is the idea of the transhuman so the concept of the transhuman is almost like bridging that gap between humanism and posthumanism. exactly and it's this addition of say if you want to think about it biologically like of synthetic parts or say um, a branching out of consciousness beyond the individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, those are two sort of different things in and of itself. I'm sure there's a lot of Westworld fans uh, listening oh, yeah. to this right now too. And this movie, Ghost in the Shell, is very similar in a lot of ways to the themes in oh my Westworld, right? Yep. But it's like in Westworld. Well, actually, no. We get we get both in that too. We're not going to dive down a Westworld rabbit hole, but the idea of like organic, inorganic, but also the idea of like straight AI and like generated mm. consciousness. But if you aren't exactly made out of organic material per se. There's cyborg yeah. and then there's other, there's something else too. Exactly. So if you want to get into the like sort of delineations between cyborg and android, like cyborg is a combination of parts that are organic and inorganic versus android is completely robotic. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the consciousness could be organic. Like what does that mean? Exactly. So like we'll get into that. Totally. And we're going to get into all sorts of crazy stuff like uh, physicalists versus dualists. Uh, that's at the end of the episode here. <laughs> But before we get into that, Ghost in the Shell, getting back into the movie itself. So as far as like concepts of humanism and posthumanism, in my in my view, this movie approaches the question of just how far humanity can veer into the realm of cyber robotics, artificially created technologies, including AI, Mm -hmm. um, things that will extend life and human abilities without losing the ghost in the shell. So does this ghost simply evolve past the biological human? Does it remain with the physical body? Interesting. Which leads us to exactly that um, artificial intelligence and what they call the cyber brain in this film. And the cyber brain is essentially the seat of consciousness. So it's where the ghost is housed or the self, I guess, is created and maintained. And we get into like these weird, like ambiguous lines of like cyber brains that are basically titanium encased brains. Yeah. And we get different variations and it's kind of, in my mind, you can interpret it different ways, but it seems as though there are those with brains, like actual, like spongy organic brains. And then there are ones that don't have anything at all. No, they're completely manufactured. They're just shells. To be the same as an organic brain, Mm -hmm. which is, yeah, yeah, just absolutely bizarre. So it's like, where does this spontaneous generation of the cyber brain come from? And we kind of get into that. We get little hints and little breadcrumbs, I guess you could say, as far as like the network as being sort of like 
the the generator. It's like this new sort of primordial like pool or something. It's you know exactly what I mean? what it is. It's mm-hmm. it, that's exactly how I pictured it. Almost like the beginning of like the Matrix with all like the script running across, and it's yeah, it's the, the sea it's, of consciousness. It's a digital primordial ooze that exactly. which life can form. Totally. And the puppet master is obviously kind of like the central example, I guess you could say, of this. So the puppet master, for example, is kind of considered this the best example of this spontaneous generation of the cyber brain or not even in the cyber brain because he's just existing in the network per se. Right. Also codename Project 2501. And in the very beginning of the movie, we get basically major spying on this conversation between a foreign diplomat and one of his helpers, or is it Daito, the hacker? And they're basically talking about Project 2501. And this is actually a pretty central conversation to the entire film and you don't really realize it until you've watched the movie a couple of times and you have to watch this movie a couple of times oh yes you do because obviously it's there's a lot packed in it's very philosophical and there's a lot of uh conversation that you need to read because obviously it's uh subtitles subtitles, yeah but the papa master so they consider him a bug or they're like kind of like debating whether or not it was a bug to begin with is he an unwanted byproduct of this evolution of Project 2501 or was he intentionally created as the project? Exactly. Right? So that's where we don't really know because the conversation's oh, very rudely interrupted by Bateau. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's kind of funny because he makes the comment. He's like, you got a lot of noise in your brain. She's like, I'm on my period, which clearly she's not. I could never get her period. <laughs> she doesn't even have female genitalia. That's right. But I like this because... These philosophical themes are central to the driving character and the force of uh, Major because she herself is entirely artificial. Yes. So when she hears that, it's almost like the first inklings of her whole philosophical meditation on what is the self? Who is she? What is consciousness? What is the human? And all this kind of stuff. And she... She, this is basically, she meditates on this for the entire movie. Yeah, it's, it, she goes back and forth and, and Bateau is her mirror for that in a lot of ways, right? The conversations that they have. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's sort of a weird way of describing it, the mirror, because like we were talking about that this morning before we started to record the idea of like having some sort of self-reflection. And like we do get a moment of that in the film too, where there's actually an instance of, of doppelgangers we'll bring up in a little bit mm-hmm. here. So yes. yeah, that, she needs that... Um, bateau to kind of like i feel like have that self-reflection because otherwise she would just spiral into darkness and we actually get a little hint of that too on the boat which we can talk Mm -hmm. about in a little bit as well oh exactly yeah this yeah totally even just before that scene on the boat there was the interrogation of the garbage man yes so this was the first instance where we get an individual that's been ghost hacked by the puppet master yeah and essentially how he's achieving this is finding these people through the network hacking into their cyber brain and basically making them his own little puppets to do his bidding which is hacking into various uh government secret files and things like that all sorts of espionage yeah and we don't really know who like what what nationality he is, who he's working for, if it's even a he or a she or what. Like, it's all just up in the air. This yeah, they, puppet say, master they say maybe American at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. but clearly, yeah, super ambiguous. The garbage yeah. man was so strange to me because I was like, I was, I mean, why is he a cyborg? Or like, why is he, why does he have a cyber brain? But it's like, this is the future. This is the reality they live in where it's like, you're just a garbage man, but there's this amount of technology being used for everyday citizens and everyday life mm-hmm. and whatever. Very weirdly, though, it's not as if he has the plugins no, on his neck. Exactly, he's plugging into the network via the telephone. So very similar to the Matrix. Very similar. And those those guys actually took a lot from this movie. But. And it reflects the sort of progression of changing from purely organic into something else too, because there's these like stages along the way, and like he's not entirely to the point like the Major, where she's you know obviously like a government agent Cybernetic can plug and, in. Mm-hmm. But you're a quarter of the way there, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, everyone's susceptible. Everyone is vulnerable to this. Everyone can be hacked. Exactly, which is 
freaking weird in my mind. <laughs> but again, I was kind of like with Andrew, like just before we sat down to record this, I was saying like these cyber brains are almost like they're the ports, right? The portals into the network versus for us, our portals are our laptops, there are phones, there yeah. are physical devices versus things that are implanted into our brains versus titanium casings or via titanium casings, I should say. And the, and the con- and like when you plug in, you are literally like surfing the web so to Mm -hmm. speak like you are your consciousness is traveling via the the network network, Mm -hmm. which is anyway we can break that down (laughs) continue to break this down which is insane but this garbage man guy when they're interrogating him this is after the full chase scene where basically they're chasing what they think is puppet master but then they realize it's just someone else has been ghost hacked two people were ghost hacked and then they're chasing them both down and in the end they realize they're nothing but shells which is totally weirdly ironic because they are they're organic people they just have nothing in them now they're and then the garbage man makes the comment he's crying right because he realizes his entire life is fake he had no wife he had no kid he has no divorce he wasn't trying to hack into his wife's brain he was hacking into secret agent files of the government yeah exactly (laughs) and it's all lie to him and i like this because bateau makes a comment how basically like we have all these facts but it's all an illusion at the same time because you can basically manipulate these facts and implant them as false memories into people and that's like the power of the idea of like yeah implanting false memory because it didn't take it didn't take very it didn't take like you know two or three days for all the memories to kind of like waft over this guy's brain it's literally Mm. like he was ghost hacked and all of a sudden you have your entire life. That's your life. You have memories mm-hmm. of this. It was like it was it's, downloaded into his consciousness. Yeah, all of it. And now he can't get rid of it. And they make the point of saying, there's been two successful cases of reversal, but we don't recommend. So he's basically stuck with this for the rest of his life. It's a bizarre uh, concept. I really like this scene too, because you get him in the interrogation room, then you get Bateau and the major on the other side of the glass. And I think this is a really beautiful metaphor because Bateau makes that comment about the illusion. Facts can be illusion as well. And then he kind of leaves the room and then you see Major Kusanagi just looking through the glass at him, through the looking glass. She can see him. And then it very, very quickly transitions to black. And then you get the Major submerged in the depths of the bay. So she's in the ocean. And again, this is another sort of parallel to the opening sequence, I was just going to say, I'm glad you brought... Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. 100%. Where she rises to the surface. It's almost like she's in this subconscious realm and she rises and it's this beautiful thing where she basically, it, it looks like she's being reborn. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could make the connection too of like her, yeah, the scene of like drifting down into the sea. And it's like, that is the original primordial ooze of which we sort of crawled out of back in the day, right? Exactly. It's like just popped into my head. Totally. So it kind of works on different levels of metaphor where it's like, it's the subconscious plane. It's an ambiguous place where life is born from. And then we get this metaphor later on of the sea of information from the puppet master. So again, it all blends together into this beautiful sort of basket of goodies. <laughs> <laughs> but then later on that evening, they're still on the boat in the bay. And Bateau asks her what it's like to dive into the ocean. And the major kind of responds. She kind of, she says it's dark, it's lonely, but there's hope down there. And it's like, what does that really mean, hope? And she says that hope in the sense that as she surfaces, she can be someone else. So she can change who she is. So it's almost like a, a chimera or a... Um, a chameleon-like identity, right? Where it's like, maybe I can just change into something else. And like, it's, yeah, and it's very spiritual because the conversation kind of continues on from there. And this idea that you just said is sort of juxtaposed with this question from Bateau, the idea of like, he asks her if she would ever leave Section 9, sort of sensing her melancholy, right? Sitting mm-hmm. on the ship. And she responds by asking how much of his original body uh, he still has left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? they're so both slaves like, to Section 9. Exactly. They're both ultimately sort of bound to this section they're bound biologically mm-hmm. and otherwise but biologically is the most important implication here biologically and then, and then what does that have for their identity exactly and so major goes on to state that they would they would have to relinquish their bodies and some of their memories to the section in order to leave so i think that's her question floating down to the bottom like this idea of like there's hope but she doesn't know exactly what that is because mm-hmm. if you leave what are you giving up what do you even have to give up Exactly. And who will you be after that? Right. Mm -hmm. So the major, we haven't sold our souls to section nine yet, is what Batu says to Mm -hmm. her. And then the major replies that indeed they have the right to leave, the right to quit. But quote, there are many elements for uh, a human to be a human. 
you need surprisingly many elements for you to be yourself, implying that, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, the intimate connection between the shell and the ghost, right? Memory and physical form. Mm -hmm. That's a weird interplay, right? Because she does kind of say, oh, but if you, I guess this is kind of unknown, right? For her, especially because Bateau's already gone through the sort of transhuman sort of um, like amalgamation of his original self and then these uh, cybernetic parts that are coming in versus her starting off with just cybernetics. Like what will she be if say she isn't in this shell? It's kind of the weird question. And we actually get the answer to that by the end of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Really interesting. I mean, Mm -hmm. and of course, like sort of, yeah, like Batu is sort of frustrated with this whole conversation, right? Um, because she refers to the network as giving her a sense of self and that these mm-hmm. elements work to create and constrain the individual, mm-hmm. right? And it provides this parameter or Exactly. Something. And Bateau's sort of frustrated with this conversation. He comments back asking, you know, what can you see from the black bottom of the sea? You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's what, what could you possibly get out of this? Yeah. And then there's something that's so ominous and not, not ominous, but so strange, right? Because the major responds... But it's it's something else. It's like a voice from somewhere else, right? Mm-hmm. For now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And it's just like this echoing voice like from the water. Yeah. So it's not coming from her, like specifically, but it is coming from, I, I almost feel like maybe in that moment, it's almost like the larger collective consciousness speaking. It's this, this cyber network of a multitude of brains and individuals or something, right? That's an interesting concept you just and, and we on do there. And we do see, like, the visual we get as she's contemplating this in the, the end where it says face-to-face, and we see the back of her neck with the four uh, prongs, right, to connect to the network, and it's like, it's like this kind of, you know, like, the image implies that it's interesting. coming from that, maybe. You know, know what I just took from what you just said was, like, the idea that the network in and of itself, an amalgamation of all this stuff, can in and of itself be an existing singular consciousness. While it's, at the same time, there's, like, Puppet Master, who's, an, who's a consciousness created within the network. Mm-hmm. In my mind, my very simple brain, I'm picturing, like, Transformers, where it's like, they're all the individual robots. They can assemble into one big robot. Totally. And, like, that's the... That's the network is the oh. big robot, but there's individual yes. pieces within it. And if you think about it, the big robot is actually, it could be an apt metaphor for collective consciousness, a post-human sense of consciousness, okay. right? Past, superseding the individual, because that's kind of, that's what the post-human is. It, it's, it's blurring these lines. It's, it's disrupting those boundaries. Right. So once we get past that, ultimately at the end of this film, what we see is, is a transcendental form emerge, right? That is post-human. And we'll kind of get to that in a second here. Mm-hmm. But we had a lot, we have a lot more to talk about. And I just wanted to get into this idea of like, can consciousness or the ghost be manifested purely from materiality slash like the hardware? Right. And physicalist, such as uh, this guy, Danette, that I have a couple quotes from, he's an American f- philosopher, and he is a physicalist. So unlike dualist, physicalists would argue, and I will say this is harshly dumbed down, just, it's <laughs> just for everyone, that everything is physical, that there's nothing over and above the physical, that everything supervenes on the physical. So it mm. all depends on this modality of what is a physicality. So the manifestation of the ghost is nothing more than a layering of programming or circuitry of the brain and its processes. So (laughs) this is a quote from the movie in this sense, even a cellular doll could have a soul. (laughs) (laughs) So dualists contrastly argue that the mind and body are distinct entities. The mind is non-physical in nature. It can't be located anywhere like in the brain per se. Right. And that it is spiritual antimatter to the brain's matter so it's like it's like the yin and the yang right and according to this is fresh just from stanford encyclopedia here it says in the philosophy of mind dualism is the theory that the mental and the physical or the mind and body or the mind and the brain are in some sense radically different kinds of things (laughs) Hmm. so then in that sense it's like Some people argue that you can't separate consciousness from its house. You can't separate the ghost from the shell. But other people would argue that you can upload and download consciousness. And like, that's where we're getting into all these weird post-human forms of identity. Exactly. And, 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 and then on the flip side too, I mean, this ties into the idea of the soul. Where does the soul go? I mean, we're, Mm -hmm. we are purely organic bodies right now in 2020. 
dealing with ideas of hauntings and ghosts and stuff like that. Those are those are no longer in a shell, so to speak. If exactly. we're sort of to tie this into the mm-hmm. same concept, except with this, it's create. It's a it's a created soul. It's not a born soul in an yeah. organic sense. Exactly. But can that be the same thing? And it's not like it's transferred either. You know what I mean? It's not like they have like a big warehouse full of souls. <laughs> Just as the shells come off the line, they can just kind of boop, boop, yeah. Boop, like boop. there's Megatech Body Corp. There's not Megatech Soul Corp. Uh, yeah. that are like in partnership together. Exactly. So we have this weird tension between both of these ideas. I feel like both of them are represented in different ways in the film. Right. I think. I mean, we've come down to this part here. I mentioned a few minutes ago the the doppelganger scene where the mm-hmm. major sees herself as she's sort of traveling around the city, which is covered in scaffolding, and it's sort of this like half complete city, empty shells everywhere, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yeah. And, and I. Thought thought this was so strange because it's like it kind of goes along with this idea that like her sense of self like i mentioned like talking to bateau like having these conversations back and forth sinking to the bottom of the sea and having that sort of self-reflection i'm air quoting here self-reflection almost uh it's almost a death wish too right because yeah. if those if if her um, buoyancy things don't inflate then she's dead right but it's like, what does she have to lose? Yeah. Because she's sort of testing that boundary. And mm-hmm. then we get this really strange, I want to know what you think of this because it's so bizarre. She's she's traveling through the streets and she sees herself, pure doppelganger. And she sees herself in a very human form. Very much so. Like working in an office. Yeah. So does that mean, so what do you make of that before we continue on here? Because it's like, what does that mean she was, she's like modeled off of something as a pure like Westworld android rather than Bateau who was formerly organic and recreated Mm -hmm. into this new position that he works in. Yeah, exactly. That to me was a huge moment in this film because she sees that and she's already having a crisis of self, right? She's already, that's why she's on the streets and that's why we we get these scenes, right? Because she's meditating on all of this. She sees all these shells around. She sees the construction and then she sees these shells of buildings filled with the ghosts, right? These human forms that are functioning within them. And then she sees herself functioning within it. And it's like, she actually asked Bateau later on uh, cause she, she's questioning everything, right. And she's questioning her own consciousness and if it's real or not, or if she can even trust it, her ghost. Right. And she says, she's like, was I, was I once a human? Was I once, or am I just an assemblage of this, the cybernetic parts that has no history, has no before, but then it's kind of this weird thing where it's like humans, human creativity, I would imagine, especially at biotech body corp, they would probably be taking a lot of modeling off of existing humans. Sure. I would imagine. It's like the Elaine mannequin in Seinfeld. She finds yeah. herself in the store and gets freaked exactly, out. Exactly. Totally. <laughs> and in that sense too, they, we can, we'll get into this in a second, the sexualization of, of the cyborg, but the idea that she is this like pinnacle of the human form too, the, the female form. Ooh, I think I'm ready to jump into that. Are you? I just wanted to touch on, because you you really hit the nail on the head when you're talking about these ghosts, the shells of the buildings, right? And like mm-hmm. this very, if anyone out there has seen Samsara or Baraka, and you haven't seen this movie yet, if you watch this sequence, it is very Baraka slash Samsara-esque, where yes. it's like the, the whole, we get the whole cycle, right? So we get the, the construction of the frame or the shell, then we get the ghosts in the shell, and then it ends with these very stark images of naked mannequins in in department stores. So like exactly. these other forms of shells. So it's almost like the cyborg in that society, right? right. Anyways, that's, right. that's how I took that. No, I, I, that's how I took it too, and and highly sexualized. Very. All right. of them are naked. Yeah. And that this is a major theme of this film, sexualization of the cyborg and just sort of the just the idea of being sexual in this sort of post-human world i uh, think is is posed a non-human form of sexuality exactly but before we get right into that it's kind of perfect we have a word from a, a fellow podcast the history of sex hi i'm bt newberg of the brand new podcast the history of sex we explode gender norms by exploring their incredible variety across time <laughs> In today's culture of gay marriage, trans rights, and a new politically correct term every day, things can feel a little chaotic. It makes you long for the good old days. When men were men and women were women, and nothing could be more clear, right? Well, sorry to break it to you, but... Those days never existed. If there's one thing the history of sex teaches us, it's that sex and gender have varied fantastically across different eras and cultures. For example, did you know that the Nazis encouraged young women to bear a child out of wedlock for the fatherland? Or that pre-contact Hawaii had no such thing as marriage? 
or that ancient Romans had no concept of orientation, only a vague sense of preference for one sex or the other. That's the kind of stuff that we'll be covering in our new podcast, The History of Sex. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. The History of Sex. And we're back. So yeah, very very interesting and a common theme across anime to be highly sexualized, right? But it goes mm-hmm. a little bit deeper into sort of gender and I- identity politics in this film for sure. Mm-hmm. So within, within the film, the major, her body is a central location for this sort of new age post-human type of sexualization, especially like the very beginning. She's like rotating in her creation tube and we just get like, basically it's like a perfect butt shot. Yeah, shot. Yeah, the whole uh, form, and we get obviously she's very she is, is is asexual. She doesn't have any human reproductive genitalia or anything. No. Mm-hmm. So comparatively, say like I've already uh, juxtaposed Westworld. So like the, the the intro to that show, it shows male and female, and it's not. I didn't take it as being sexualized really at all. Just as a comparison, which is sort of exactly interesting. yeah yeah. But yeah, sexual reproduction has sort of given way. To mechanical reproduction in this modern world. So this is one critic that notes this, the idea of, quote, the perfect paradoxical introduction to a narrative that is all about the nature of sex and gender identity and self-identity in a future world where sexual reproduction has given way to mechanical reproduction. So it's like... Replication. How, or replication. How would mm-hmm. you get horny <laughs> in this in this post-human world? It's or very like, strange. Or does the major get horny? Does, exactly. she, does yeah. she have a sexual identity? Does and, she have any preference? And and clearly Bateau's got a bit of a crush on her. Definitely, yes. And I feel like she is such a highly sexualized physical form, but it's also, in a sense, it, it's it's almost like a um, a contradiction in itself because she has no ability to perform anything sexually beyond... <laughs> Well, well, you can, can get do creative. Some stuff. You can get creative, <laughs> but but you know she's not made for that. Right. And it's very stark because, yeah, like you said right off the bat, this is a very prominent theme in a lot of anime, a lot of manga. The female form is highly sexualized in a lot of ways, and for sure. um, and I would say transgressed in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. And I will just point to the original theatrical movie poster as a great example of this. So the major. In every scene of that film, she is highly respected by all of her male colleagues. No one, like, there's the one scene with Bateau where he he's very respectful, right? Because she goes to take off her dive suit in front of him. He and looks away. He turns away because yeah. he respects her. And she gets that from everyone. I wouldn't say there's a single moment in this film where she is, like, disrespected because of Objectified that. Objectified or whatever, like, by, like, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So none of that is actually shown. But her body itself is that right because it is this perfected female form and going back to the original theatrical movie poster she's shown prostrate on her knees legs spread with a bunch of tubes and wires coming out of her violating her seemingly like she looks very much like a victim almost or like she's not comfortable or not in pain per se but just doesn't look nice (laughs) well you could you could make the argument that she is a victim very much in the same way that yeah. Again, I keep going back to Westworld. But the idea that, like, you know, vic- you're a victim because you didn't have the choice and then you end up having this consciousness, whatever that is or whatever that is to her and mm-hmm. having to figure it out. Yeah. And how badly that could go in a in a post-human world. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, we've already touched on this again, too. Um, the intro sequence, like you said, like, we get all of these close-up shots, all of these, like, rotating of her body as it's being formed in different ways. And a lot of it does focus on the female reproductive areas and it it clearly showing again like yeah like crotch region there's no genitalia there's no nothing so Mm -hmm. it's just it's this bizarre contradiction in my mind and it's this weirdly awkward thing and she doesn't focus on that per se but the puppet master actually at one point when he's in his his main monologue when he's like basically making the case that he is a human and that he deserves as an entity, he deserves to be, um, what's it called in political asylum, essentially. And the puppet master, he like, he laments the fact that he cannot reproduce. He cannot organically reproduce and he cannot die organically as well. Right. Which is another weird part about this. Did he, it's so funny. I'm saying, did he, did she, did this, did that, did the puppet master define 
itself as a he? Or are we just saying that because they sort of refer to that? Because even even with the major, she's made in the female form. You're talking about how she ha- she has no female genitalia. She's just made in this form. If she's created as an android and has this developed consciousness, she's she's not really male or female. No. Right? I mean, and, and, and for the, the puppet master who hasn't necessarily even attained a physical body yet like its consciousness Mm -hmm. is manifested in the network Mm -hmm. would that have any gender application to it or is it an amalgamation of various Mm -hmm. different things within the network that's you are all that's exactly yeah that's kind of this weird awkward premise where it's like it sexual reproduction has given way to what they say mechanical replication so is replication a form of reproduction are we getting forms of evolution within that and i think we do get the answer to that question by the end of the film yes yeah. mm-hmm. uh, going back to the whole idea of like yeah like the major her body uh, it's epitomized right it's if you want to talk about it in very like classical film critique terms it's the male ideal is what you would say of the hu- the female body the female form the female form through the male gaze classically speaking and obviously probably the majority of people working on this film and doing the animation but the idea okay her outfits too being highly sexualized so we get her naked form very stark very beautiful very perfect but then we get this addition of beige latex why is that even necessary she looks totally nude anyway i I guess for me I, i thought that it had something to do with the camouflage oh that's a good point actually like oh. having like skin to skin, like skin colored, right? It just made the overall camouflage easier. But that being said, the other guy that was ghost hacked that they're chasing that initial scene has like more of a cape version of it. Right. But so he's also visible too. Like Bateau sees him and shoots at him. So maybe it's like wasn't as good of a mm. shield. But you know Bateau has cyborg eyes. That's very true. So he can see things that other people can't. It's very true. <laughs> Getting into Perhaps. the nitty gritty. Perhaps. <laughs> but it's very weird. And like I said, like, yeah, the major's body is seemingly a contradiction within herself. Yeah. Like, because she, if you would look at her and you're a male, you would want her, right? You see that. And it's like, and you brought up the other, was it last night we were watching this film again? You were like talking about like the Japanese fixation with, with this. And they've already gone and created female sex bots. They're the, they're exactly like this. World leaders in sex dolls. That's for sure. More (laughs) commonplace, just robots in general and the connection to things like AI and robots in Japan is a lot different than it it is is in North America. It's all more advanced, I would say. But anyways, yeah. So that was my main point on the sexualization there. It's very interesting to think like the nature of her and Bateau's relationship is obviously at this point, it's non-sexual of course yes and it never is because she ends up leaving in the end but it's like he definitely does have like either he just really has an affection for her or he has like you said maybe a slight crush like what do you make of that i think he looks at her in sort of a self-reflexive way too because he's trying to figure out what he's even capable of moving forward himself Mm -hmm. is he capable of falling in love maybe the way he had in the past and and also in that same sort of line of questioning is she capable of reciprocating that as an android you know what mm-hmm. i mean like or I, maybe it wouldn't go that detailed but it's like that's kind of the vibe i get from him it's like he's not sure what he's not sure if he has a crush he's just kind of like doesn't know quite what to make of his sexualization in this world either i don't perhaps think. yeah does yeah. he have all of his parts <laughs> <laughs> does, yeah, exactly do they keep the, uh, oh, the that's essential great. parts and it, he does have a great affection for her you can just see that very clearly even though it isn't an affectionate relationship by any means it's no. a very hardened relationship but it's an affectionate working relationship and it is i think a lot of their sort of connection comes from the fact that they are mutually bound to section nine uh, biologically like we said or, or even beyond that right because like the major says to him in response like because he says oh we haven't sold our souls to section nine yet and it's like well what is your soul like is your soul your memories that you would have to relinquish back to them is your soul you need a surprisingly many elements to be yourself exactly and that's where you get into like again the identity politics and the idea of stripping away identity and like different forms of that right like even say once you enter the prison system like the tiger king for example he's like i stripped me from my whole identity i don't have my clothes i don't have my well and you know what i mean like as soon as you start to take away layers of personage right it all devolves really fast it falls apart i'm even thinking again of um like auschwitz like uh the holocaust victims and things like that right dehumanization and everything taken away your whole identity your number you're not even a person totally Mm-hmm. Coming back to sort of the the sexualization and the, and all that sort of stuff with the major. Besides this, 
there's just this lack of distinctions between herself and the organic human. This is this is exemplified in in further ways, sort of such as just her sort of just like thinking, like her philosophy on this, her philosophical sort of like musings, if you will, mm-hmm. and her ability of self-reflection and notions of the self. Yeah. Um, so a good example of this is when the puppet master is brought into section nine. So like after there's a, a car accident, essentially. So let's unpack that just a little bit here. Yeah, that was like a really eerie scene. Like when we see the, the body on the street, like the, the shell, and then yeah. it gets smoked by that truck. The face is just so oh, like empty and weird. It is. Yeah, so empty. Totally. And this is such a pivotal scene because this is where we get the first inklings of what the puppet master is or isn't. Right. And uh, Bateau, actually, he has to describe this, like the developments to the major who's late because she's having her own philosophical musings and in the whole samsara scene just before that. So basically he describes how the body that's on the table in front of them was made by someone that hacked into Megatech uh, Body Co. production facility, which was supposedly vacant at the time. And this body was like manufactured and before a worker noticed, it managed to run away. I love how they describe that. The body ran away. The it's body like, the ran body. away. <laughs> like in your head, I'm thinking of like a dead person anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got off the gurney and freaking ran away. Yeah. And the only, the only way it was actually caught was because it was hit by a truck driver, but that seemed very intentional to me, right? And I think that was intentional on the puppet master's part because he said he couldn't resist Section 9. He couldn't what? resist getting close to the major. Yes. Which was very interesting in my mind. How is he actually aware of her? And in that scene where the body is on the table and they ca- cause it to convulse and it's like moving in this really strange way and then it zeroes right in on the major and you see the eyes lock in and it's just looking at her. Yeah. And I thought that was a really weird, but like very telling moment. But anyways, Bateau goes on to explain that they've actually detected a ghost in this cyberbrain shell, despite the fact that, quote, he says, there's not a speck of brain in that head of hers. So we've had some sort of form of spontaneous generation of consciousness again, or is it just the first physical form that the puppet master has taken on? Right. Based off of its spontaneous generation of consciousness. Exactly. They don't really know what they're working with. They're all like looking, they're in um, the, what's not the major's office, but the other guy's office, the department head. Yeah. And Daisuke. (laughs) I think think so, yeah. Daisuke. I love that guy. They're looking at this like scan of the brain and saying like, yeah, there seems to be a ghost in there and they don't really know what or how, but major insists that she has to be the one to dive into it and figure it out. And I feel like she... She, in that moment, she has a connection. And she even says later on in the elevator to Bateau, it's like, didn't that form look like me? Yeah. Didn't it? And then he kind of, he brushes her off. But she, that's when we kind of get this idea from her where it's like, she's questioning whether she can trust her ghost, whether the current me, this is what she says here, is the current me just a pseudo person made of cyber brain and body parts? Maybe I didn't exist in the first place. So she's just, all of this is just ruminating in that cyborg brain of hers. And then, yeah, and then Bateau, of course, asks her, don't you believe in your own ghost? Which I thought was such a strange Mm -hmm. phrasing. And of course she responds, if the cyber brain itself creates a ghost and puts a soul in it, on what grounds should we believe in ourselves? But this comes back to the whole idea of what is electrical synapses that create the, essentially our thoughts and consciousness in our brain. And is that the same thing? Is it, is it it Mm -hmm. like a cyber brain creating a ghost? What's the difference? What is the difference? And that kind of brings us to this Danette character. So Daniel Danette, like I uh, alluded to before, American philosopher, and he, like I said, is a physicalist. And this was a quote here um, just from an article from The New Yorker talking about his work. And it says, in the course of 40 years and more than a dozen books, Danette has endeavored to explain how a soulless world could have given rise to a soulful one. His special focus is the creation of the human mind goes on to say, in Consciousness Explained, a 1991 bestseller, he described consciousness as something like the product of a multiple layered computer programs running on the hardware of the brain. So that kind of is the exact same analogy, right? If you think about it, a computer is a brain. A brain is a computer. Definitely. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Similar functions. Obviously, this closely aligns with these like post-human musings of the ghost in the shell. So the idea that the soul is born ex nihilo, out of nothing. (laughs) Hmm. another winery around here but ex nihilo literally means out of nothing i think it's latin yes Mm -hmm. 
And so the major Kusanagi's contemplation of the self or the I or the ghosts only proves further the idea that the assemblage of parts, in her case, this cybernetic and organic parts, constitutes a being. And so in this light, the request from Puppet Master for asylum as a person becomes more valid, in my mind at least. What about you? No, I, I, I would agree with that. For yeah. sure. I don't know why. I just wanted to say, for some strange reason, just you reading that quote in Ex Nihilo, it made me think of the medieval ages where people thought life was being spontaneously generated off of, like, yeah. say, like, spoiled meat and things like that. Totally. But obviously we figured out later on that it wasn't. It was it was mm-hmm. an amalgamation of bacterial activity and things going on that we couldn't see. So it's sort of the same notion here, out of nothing. Out of but nothing. is it? it isn't really out of nothing. It's this primordial ooze of of electrical synapses exactly. and ideas and, 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 and saved memories and all this stuff mm-hmm. that we could juxtapose with that essentially genetics, right? Like this oh, is totally. the genetics of the, of the cyber system. DNA is a stored memory. Right. Except right? instead of it being like, oh, your hair is red, you're, you know, you've got a longer pinky toe than your, than your big toe, things like that. It's a different amalgamation. The genetics are ideas and concepts mm-hmm. and 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 information in the system i really like your uh yeah your comparison the parallel between that lack of understanding and just considering it spontaneous generation we have a distinct lack of understanding of the human brain we do not know like 99 percent of the human brain uh, that's that's an exaggeration well, we know what i mean a lot though. we don't know basically anything yeah. and scientists openly admit that <laughs> that's why do. that's why movies like this and themes like this keep popping up I yeah. mean, it's over and over again transcendence of recent film with johnny depp very similar right where his consciousness yeah. is like he ends up in a oh, system like there's a lot there's a lot of films that touch on this this is my personal favorite though it is and it's so early right 1995 i really liked in the central monologue of the puppet master how he's expounding on these parallels between the human and the soul and these internal programs and memory capabilities of cyborgs and he makes this one really apt statement um he's kind of chiding them almost or like giving them a little slap on the wrist and he says he's like once you began storing these quote memories externally you ought to have thought of the consequences in relation to artificial intelligence and the evolution of such technologies like where did you think this was ultimately going yeah which is just brilliant. I love that. And I think, I, but and and in that question is like it's it's the perfect example of just humans like ignoring stuff, right? This it's like the dump. It's like the city dump. It's mm-hmm. like they just just if if it's not a problem now, it won't be in the future. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they didn't Ooh, think about this exactly. So they didn't think of the consequences, and they didn't think about how maybe perhaps by creating these technologies, they're superseding their own selves. Right? Yeah. The human is nothing but a memory now and we're going into this more uh collective consciousness post-human world of yeah exactly that and so that was my next question here is like this whole cyber hacking and the post-human are androids leading this evolutionary race like you know what i mean are we superseding ourselves for me the the biggest question with that and it's like you know movies like terminator and stuff like that they play off this it's like this you know, dystopian world, humans have been pushed into caves and, and androids and robots are running the show. For me, the question, like looking at a film like Ghost in the Shell, where it's this sort of perfect, not perfect, but like this amalgamation uh, where some people are fully androids, some are cyborgs, some are at different stages of this sort of weird post-human transition. Would the world, say a thousand years from now, end up all being like the major or does it rely on the sort of like the the origin point or the basis of like human or organic to sort of to to propel these ideas and these notions. Hmm. So like would a world like this even exist? Would 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 these things even bother? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like that's a humanist idea in in and of itself to like always oh, got to stay alive, manifest destiny, got to keep growing, evolving all this stuff. It's like why? They don't even well are you talking about the human side of it or I'm the I'm talking about the side cyborg of side of it like if this was to continue like if this city, you know, 500, a thousand years from now, would it be, would the, would the, the partners in the, in the garbage truck be one of them a human and one a half cyborg? Or would it just be like robots living in a city or would there be nothing left on earth because everything's just said, screw it. Yeah. Well, maybe perhaps, because it, 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 I feel like it's almost like it's a tipping, like it's almost like a teeter totter, right? And like, is it tipping one way or the other? I feel like it is tipping in favor of this artificial intelligence world, right? Because they need less and they don't die, right? Like like the guy says, uh, the puppet master, he says in his big uh, monologue, he's like, I lament the fact that I can't reproduce and that I cannot die organically. So they have no need. 
they don't even think about things as like propagation and all that kind of stuff, right? Because they're past that. They're past human needs of even like we do see the major sleeping at the beginning of the movie. We never see her eat anything. No. Like they don't have these same needs of humans. So ultimately they are the next sort of most logical form of evolution for this type of society. But at the same time, like, again, I'm just reminded of like the example I gave, like the spontaneous generation, like that people didn't under, that's kind of like what it is. No one's being born. No one's having a relationship, making love, having children with these cyborgs and AI. Mm -hmm. Like, so it it is this continued spontaneous generation, the same, the same as mechanical replication versus sexual reproduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As long as something like a megatech body corporation facility exists, then they can just keep cranking them out essentially. Yeah. And then as they get damaged, as they die or, you know, not die, like that's in big air. You know, my, a question I would have then would be like, this would be an interesting sequel. The idea of like, if there's this constant, spontaneous generation of consciousness within the network, there would be this never ending need for me- uh, Megatech Body Corp to be creating shells to house these spontaneous generated consciousnesses mm-hmm. because they would have nowhere to go. They will just end up mm. manifesting in different ways, hacking into existing yeah. shells yeah. rather than having their own. So that's where you get this sort of, yeah, like the humans are the more vulnerable side of the population now because they are they are wear and tear organisms. They're not going to last forever and they are susceptible to cyber hacking. And I love this whole idea that the puppet master, he's considered a hacker. They refer to him repeatedly as a hacker, a hacker, a hacker. He, he, he too, right? And so hacker in our minds implies that he's human, but then we quickly find out that he's not human. And so this whole, I don't even know where I'm like going with that, but the idea that like, I feel like I keep saying this over and over again, it's like, this is the next step. And then we, I've said it a couple times in this recording already, we get the answer to these questions a little bit, right? Because essentially what the purpose of Papa Master tracking down the major is that he wants to combine with her. He wants to that to be the new form of asexual reproduction, essentially. Right. It's, it's an ascension past the individual into a collective. And so that's another form of post-human type of consciousness or identity. Well, let's get into that scene. Mm-hmm. Then. We're getting down to the wire here anyways. So I loved that. It was such a strange yet satisfying way for the major to kind of... Uh, yeah, leave that original body we see created at the beginning of the film. Yes. So this is kind of the climax of the film. We see uh, they kind of like trick section six into thinking that they've got the um, the the puppet. Um, what's it called? <laughs> the puppet master. 2501. 2501. But they actually take him and her and Bateau do this secret like she basically dives into his shell, but then Bateau, he's like, he's not sure what's going on in that moment because they're connected together and they essentially switch bodies. Yeah. And they kind of like switch forms. They're having this whole intimate conversation with one another where basically Papa Master's convincing her to merge and to do this with him and yeah. and him, her, I don't know, whatever. It. <laughs> it. Yeah, exactly. He, she, and it. <laughs> yeah. Great book. Another great book. Marge Piercy, shout out. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. So like we get this scene and then we also get section six coming in and disrupting the whole thing. The disintegration or like destruction of the major's body. Only her head remains. They blow yep. her up. They blow up the puppet master, but... It's too late because he's already merged with her. Yes. And then Bateau ends up taking her to his safe house. And she, we see this really, again, it's so eerie. It's like this little girl in this little schoolgirl outfit. And she's just like limp on a chair, on an armchair mm-hmm. with all these wires and things hooked up to her and fluids and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I love that because it's a very perfect physical analogy or metaphor for the combined it's almost like that's the child of this yeah mechanical replication not even mechanical it's 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 beyond that it's something we can't quite mm-hmm. understand and that's what i yeah. think bateau is reflecting in that moment where they're merging and he doesn't quite understand what the heck is going on the the mm-hmm. the, the leaders of the of section nine and six don't really know what's going on there's that scene where uh, you know the 2501 is strung up onto the wall and says you know i want immunity like i'm a i'm a I'm a person, like mm-hmm. I have consciousness and they're like, nah, what the heck's going on here? This is just him just spouting off. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's just a very clever chimera again. Exactly. Or but then, mm-hmm. like you said, we end up with this kind of creepy scene, but she's, she, it, they've melded together into this, this childlike form that Bateau has saved them. Yeah. Cause this is like, this is the only body I could find is what he says <laughs> best I could do. Yeah. But it's very perfect because 
it's re- it's a rebirth. It is it's a rebirth. starting from a child form now. Mm-hmm. So it's like a yeah, it's the physical manifestation of her re of her be- new beginnings. Endless possibility. She walks out, and it's interesting. Right before she leaves the safe house, Bateau asks, like, "Am I talking to Major? Or am I talking to Puppet Master?" And she says, basically, where one ends, the other begins, and there's no there's no clarity anymore. Exactly. They're all just this this amalgamation of form. And she looks out at the city, this fictitious city. And what's the quote? Uh, did you have the actual Oh, she's here, like, where, it... where should I go? The network is vast. Yeah. And she basically has this all at her fingertips now. Exactly. So she is like, exactly. She is Papa Master now. Right. And, and that quote in and of itself too, kind of like chucked a little sort of rabbit hole cherry on top for me at the end too, because it was this idea that she's staring out over a physical city that she's used, that's been used throughout the film as being like a reflection for her, Mm -hmm. like the scaffolding, the empty shells of buildings and things like this. But then she makes the comment that the network is vast. It's almost like she, the city in and of itself is the shell and the network Mm -hmm. is the soul within the city or something like that. Like you can, and the soul in and of itself, the network is is like a digital city. You can access it. She can go anywhere. It's vast. I can access yeah. anything, any person, any place. Any person, any place. And she, I love how we, we throughout the film, we see that representation, right? When she plugs in and, and that one scene where they have the high CD chase and all that kind of stuff. We get that. And it's like this, it's so matrixy, right? Which again, obviously, yeah, like let's get into some of like the things we liked about the movie, some of the pop culture references and inspirations for later films. Cause there's yeah. a lot here. I'll quickly touch on the matrix guys. Cause we've already kind of touched on them a little bit. And there are uh, distinct visuals uh, and, and themes that are parallels. And this movie was a big inspiration for the Wachowski brothers. They were heavily inspired by this film. Um, everything from the overall tone, mood, the mise-en-scene, like, you know, like, and the, the action sequences, they were very much inspired by all of that. For sure. And they actually, there was like uh, one article I was reading where basically they took this film, showed it to their producer and said, we want to do this for real. <laughs> we <laughs> just want to do this for real. Yeah. So yeah, that was one huge, uh, a huge film franchise that was inspired by this um lesser known movie i would say so um also with uh james cameron his work on avatar was heavily inspired by ghost on the shell too oh okay yeah yeah i can see that as well i think for me sort of a final thought i would say is like my absolute favorite part my two favorite things in this in this movie are bateau and his appearance i love the uh the android eyes that he's Mm. been given and they look like these like almost like steampunk glasses but they're but they operate in in 2029 or whatever the year is that's like super cool the music the Mm -hmm. music at the very beginning and then the scene where she is uh traveling around the city in this very self-reflexive strange way Mm -hmm. it's so primordial it's like this, it reminded me instantly of uh, the Atlantis of Japan episode we did and the idea of like Yanaguni and like ancient peoples. It's got such a, such a... A power. A power, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this this ancient power to it. It's very atmospheric. Yeah. Uh, it does set the tone very aptly, I think. I, I hear it in my head right now. I hear it for weeks on end after we watch this film because <laughs> yeah, it's totally. just so powerful. And you had another um, thing that it reminded you of, us. Oh, yeah, very similar, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of to the beginning of, of that movie with the chanting. And, Primordial uh, ancient chanting. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What was your sort of favorite part or moment or thing in the film? That's tough. I honestly, the music is what stays with me because of that, because it is so powerful and so forceful and really sets this really beautiful tone overall. Oh, there's a lot of things I really like. There's just so much that you can contemplate about this film. And I really... I really enjoyed the major's character because she's she's very opaque and very transparent at the same time. She's so much. And I really, I went back to our like um, Japanese cinema textbook that we have because we took a Japanese cinema course when we were in university. Yeah. And they were very harsh on this movie. And they said it's, it's a great example of anime, 1990s anime, as it was emerging. And there's basically no character development they said that was like the only two things they said and i was like whoa the entire not true the entire film relies on that i think that's a perfect example of how anime back then and still today i think people can sometimes sometimes avoid it they they almost feel like it's going to be less yeah less well developed less whatever Mm -hmm. and especially with such great and famous japanese directors like of of you know of the 
of the early days of film, like mm-hmm. uh, Kurosawa and Ozu and people like that, like those were the ones that were revered. And so movies like this that were sort of early stages, like mm-hmm. 90s, not weren't going to get as much recognition. Mm-hmm. And I will say too that those were Western authors of that textbook as well. So perhaps there is a lack of understanding besides the music and everything. Um, I really, really liked the mise-en-scene. So the, the backgrounds, the, the, all of the imagery we see in between the scenes and probably my favorite moment, the more I contemplate and think about it is that sequence of the Baraka slash Samsara-esque moment where she's traveling through the city and the analogies are so evident, right? And she, anyways... And for you guys, again, like Baraka and Samsara are two films. Baraka is the first one. Samsara is the sequel. Go find them wherever you can and Mm -hmm. watch them. There's no dialogue. There's no, it's not a documentary. It's just a very like ethereal experience. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to, if you enjoyed Ghost in the Shell, you'll enjoy both of those films. Very philosophical too. Absolutely. And it's, it's what you want to take out of it, which is the best part, I think. And it shows you amazing images from all over the world, whether it's humans, machines, the natural world, all of it, which is just amazing. So I guess we have three films to recommend to you guys this week. I guess so. And I like the point you made where it's like, because it's anime, some people might not watch it. Yeah. For me, I am not attracted to anime type films at all. Like I, I Pokemon was my only sort of whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess Dragon Ball Z for you maybe. Sure. If you want to call it that, even is that anime? Dabbling, I I suppose. But if that's going to discourage you, don't let it discourage you because this is a beautiful film. Absolutely. It's stunning. It's honestly, yeah, it's in my top, top 10 favorite movies. Again, I've been reminded since we've, since mm-hmm. we've covered it and I'm really glad we did. Yeah. And I think like, like Baraka and Samsara, this movie sort of ghost in the shell leaves you with that sort of uh, open question at the end too. Like, what do you make of consciousness? Mm-hmm. How do you define your sense of self? And I found myself, I found myself looking in the mirror and thinking about some, some things we had covered in university and being like, I don't understand anything when it comes to the nature of consciousness and reality. And I don't know if we ever will, yeah. but we definitely want to know what you guys have to say about all these bizarre questions we've touched on in this episode. And of course the movie ghost in the shell. Yes. And if you guys have checked out the sequel, what, what sort of oh, your thoughts true. on the, uh, the comparison, we didn't touch on that at all today because we wanted to stick to the original. You mean the sequel that's not or the, the remake rather, the sorry, remake. not, not, not okay. the sequel, the remake, I should say. Cause there uh, is the a modern, sequel the well. modern remake. There is a sequel from like 2011 or something, but okay. then the modern remake with, Kira or uh, Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Johansson. <sighs> yeah. That's all I have to say yeah. about that. Anyway. <laughs> one critic, actually, we didn't mention this, but one critic comparing the two films actually said the remake was a failure because it had the shell of the original, but not the ghost. Ah, perfect ah. pun. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys, well, hit us up and let us know what you think about post-humanism and all this madness into the portal mailbox at Mm gmail.com. Leave a comment uh, on Facebook or wherever you guys want to hit us up. And even if this conversation has sparked any sort of like, oh, this reminds me of this film or that film, like hit us up and let us know because we love this type of like topics and subject matter and theme. So we're open to anything. Last but not least, thank you so, so much to our brand new producer, Tim Godby, and all of our uh, supporters over there on Patreon. So if you guys want a little bit more into the portal and some other goodies of high strangers that come along with joining us on Patreon as well, check us out. Links in the show notes. We have our Patreon anniversary month coming up at the end of May. So we're going to be doing a bunch of really fun stuff for you guys, including some ITP top 10, top 10, top 10 trivia. Top 10, top 10. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.